Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen continues her series of discussions with Michael Trout with part one of their examination of his third video, Family Transitions. All of Michael Trout's videos and books are available at the TKC store at tkcchattock.org. Get a 20% discount on all Michael Trout materials when you type Trout20 at checkout. That's T-R-O-U-T and the number 20. Part two will be released on January 14th. This is Karen Buckwalter, and I am delighted to be having Michael Trout coming back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast for another series. This series will actually be about a variety of resources that he has produced. We're first going to focus on his videos, and uh, then later we will be focusing on some of his books. So I would like to, for listeners who don't know about Michael and his work, share a bit about his background. Michael has degrees in both philosophy and psychology, and he was uh, trained with Selma Freiberg in infant psychiatry as part of the Child Development Project of the University of Michigan Department of Psychiatry. He's been in the infant mental health field since 1968 and in private practice since 1979. Since 1986, he has directed the Infant Parent Institute, which is an institute engaged in research, clinical practice, and clinical training related to problems of attachment. He was the founding president of both the Michigan and the International Associations of Infant Mental Health, was on the charter editorial board of the Infant Mental Health Journal, served as regional vice president for the United States for the World Association of Infant Mental Health, and served on the board of directors and as editor of the newsletter of the, Associ- the Association for Pre- and Perinatal Psychology and Health. In 1984, Michael won the Selma Freiberg Award for significant contributions to needs of infants and their families. In addition to publishing a number of book chapters and journal articles, Michael Trout has produced 16 clinical training videos that are used by universities and clinics around the world, including a six-hour video training series called The Awakening and Growth of the Human, Studies in Infant Mental Health. He has also written and produced five videos focusing on the unique perspective of babies on divorce, adoption, loss, domestic violence, and parental incarceration. And in fact, these videos are going to be the focus of the first part of this new series I'm doing with Michael Trout. So he comes to us with a wealth of wisdom and experience and Michael has become a good friend of mine as well as such a respected colleague and mentor. He's one of the most influential people in my professional life by far and I'm just delighted to be opening a new series with him today. So here we go. 
Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. It's great to have all of you back again today. And as many of you already know who follow the podcast, we're in the midst of a series with Michael Trout. So, Michael, thanks for coming back. Great to be back again. Yes. And so we've done a series before with Michael that was very popular. Um, This one's a little bit different. This one, in terms of content, we are focusing on the transitions videos, which is a series of videos about various issues confronting children um, and their parents that were made over a period of years. And today we are moving to one called Family Transitions. Young children speak their minds about divorce. So, Michael, this one, in terms of where we're at with this series, this would be one that would have a much broader audience. Uh, perhaps because of how common divorce is where, you know, the other ones were more focused on uh, adoption and then the multiple transitions, adoption and foster care. So here you ventured into a broader topic. So tell us a little bit about how that came about. You know, it's funny to hear you put it that way because if, if that is the case and it is, that it's a broader uh, potential audience. It's sure interesting that that broader potential audience did not grab this video up. And I, I think the reason is not very complicated. Although when we look at multiple transitions and we see how difficult it is to watch, we might've thought it wouldn't be picked up as much as it was, and yet it was. So when I tell you that I don't think parents were real thrilled about what I was reporting their children were saying to them or wanted to say to them if they could. Um, I'm not sure that fully accounts for uh, why more of them didn't see it. But in any case, yes, it's a broader audience, but less uh, distribution than there was with some of the other films. Could I speculate on that? Yes, please. I think it's because with the other films, um, many times we were looking at it, maybe a step to remove uh, social workers, caseworkers, or even foster parents who really weren't responsible for what had happened to the children beforehand. But I just really wonder with, with this one, um, so many people have experienced divorce in one way or another personally, you know, not a step removed, like I'm helping kids who have had a divorce, but I have had a divorce and maybe that being that close made it harder to look at. Yeah, you probably are onto something there. And, and of course the core target audience was people not just people who have had a divorce, but people who are in the middle of it right this minute and are for some reason or another needing some help or support in catching on to what the child is feeling about all this. So I guess I, it shouldn't be surprising that they're not real thrilled about hearing, in fact, what the child does have to say for the very same reasons that they're not doing a real terrific job of setting their own feelings aside in the moment anyhow. so as to listen to the children. Yes, yes. So, um, 
you, you said a little bit about who you had in mind that, that might you use the film. Um, is there anything else you want to say about what your overall vision for the film was before we go into some specifics about it? Only that uh, this film, like so many of the others, arose out of uh, at least a felt need on my part. Um, I wasn't getting through. I, I didn't even know how to begin to get through. I didn't even know where the door was to get through to moms and dads who were in the middle of uh, their own terrible losses and their own sometimes felt sometimes denied remorse or guilt about those losses, trying to figure out who's to blame and who should carry the weight of uh, responsibility for all this. It's a mm -hmm. miserable place to be in. And when it's complicated further by extraneous elements, so in other words, the couple is not just divorcing because they're not getting along, they're divorcing because one of them has taken up with somebody else. Then those, all those issues about who's at fault, who's responsible, who should take the blame for the harm done to the child. Then for some yin yang like me to come along and say, oh, by the way, here is the harm being done to the child. Or at the very least, here's what the child is feeling about it or might want to say to you about it if he could get a word in edgewise. Um, that's not... That, that was a hard thing, and I, I couldn't always find the door to explain that to people, whether they had come to me for psychotherapy, one or the other of them, or sometimes both of them, or whether they came to me for mediation. Either way, the voice of the child was critical, and I wasn't knowing how to get that voice across. Thus the film. Yes. And you mentioned already that the distribution was not as wide as some of the other films. But for those that did see it, what was the reception? Well, you know, it varied hugely. Some would watch it and then look to their, their partner and weep. Some would watch it and look to their partner and say, see, I told you. In other words, I've been... I've been blaming you and now you see even this guy knows the terrible things being done to our child. So it, it varied hugely. There were occasions on which, and I was sometimes accused of this being my motivation for making the film in the first place. There were rare occasions in which people would watch the film and go home and change their mind about having a divorce. I don't know that the film altogether did that, but I think it may have opened the door to a redirection, um, a kind of reorientation to what all of this is going to mean to all of us. Um, and people sometimes change their minds. You know, I think what's interesting about that, Michael, as we get ready to move to some of the actual content of the film is that I've had so many people say to me, now this is in regard to the potential that these some of these people change their mind, that divorce was so much harder than they ever expected. Uh, and perhaps one of the most difficult experiences in their life as though 
they went into it knowing, of course, this is going to be hard for me. This is going to be hard for my children. But that it turns out that I guess in general, at least in terms of people who have spoken to me about this, there's a tendency to underestimate how difficult it's going to be. Profoundly, dramatically underestimate. Most people seem to have the idea, uh, a self-comforting idea probably, that while it'll be hard, it'll be hard for a while. There's a temporal nature to all of this and we'll, we'll then get over it and the kids will get over it too. And what people then report years later is, this thing just keeps rearing its head, doesn't it? It just, we'd send our child off to college the other day, a parent will say. That it was 15 years after the divorce and our child collapsed when we dropped him off at the dorm. And as I drove off, I thought, this is the first major separation our child has experienced since the divorce. I wonder if the divorce came back to haunt him at this moment. And of course, they're right. Yes. And you know, it's a hundred lives. And you know, some of our listeners could be thinking, oh, whoa, you know, the guy's anti divorce, or, you know, they're, they're trying to talk people out of a divorce. And I know very well that that's not your intention here. What would you say? If someone said, well, was that, was that a big part of your purpose that you're trying to talk people out of this and convince them, you know, don't do this? What would you say to that? <laughs> well, first I'd have to laugh because as many of your listeners will know, I've been divorced more than once and there were little kids involved uh, every single time. So I should go fall on the stake somewhere, uh, I guess, if, if, if that's the case. Um, no, I, I just think that we all do better if we know what we're in for. And if we can't know what we're in for, because it's much of this is unpredictable, at least if we can have hearts that are soft and open and available for moments of empathy when our children need us to have them. Can we allow our children to be enraged at us, for example? Can we allow our children to turn their backs on us? Uh, will we know what it means when our child during adolescence, a normal period of individuation and separation, can we allow our, our children to be unusually angry at us because we didn't have the good form to be stable so they could leave us? Instead, we were fighting with our spouse or divorcing our spouse right at the time the child needed us to be just rock solid and sit tight so I can flip you the bird and leave, so to speak, emotionally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if we can at least be open to understanding that and being soft about it, not just for the year or so after the divorce, but for sometimes for decades. I mean, this stuff pops up when our kids grow up and have kids of their own and are trying to figure out who to have Christmas with. And we've just screwed up the formula. Now they don't just have to choose between the, mo the mom's parents and the dad's parents. They have to choose between the dad's two sets of parents and mom's two sets of parents. Because years ago there was a, there was a divorce and the family just 
family size just doubled. Mm-hmm. Every time the child comes home as an adult, a child of divorce, he has to figure out if the mom and dad stayed in the same town after divorce, um, how much time are they supposed to spend at each house when they've only come back for a couple of days from college or from having grown up and moved away? Well, I don't mean to hammer the point. The point is just that it, it has so many lives, this divorce thing, just as loss always does. And the only thing we parents can do is not give over our life to misery so that our children don't hurt. We don't have to give give over our future to a, a horrible marriage existence. We can divorce. We just have to have, if not knowledge about what that means to our children, at least openness, what it might mean to our children. Yes, yes. And um, yeah, I think that that's, that's really, really helpful. And it's, you know, as you know, my goal is always to get your videos, books, lectures, out to as many people as possible and so you know i really hope with this topic of of divorce and it being such a common thing that we're dealing with today that um we will um be able to help you know others know about this video and watch this video i do want to ask one more thing before we we move along to what's some of the things that are in the actual video you know i'm always keeping in mind the title of the podcast is, you know, attachment theory and action. And in terms of attachment and attachment security and a safe haven and a secure base and many of the things that we think about with attachment theory and and how it relates to life. What comes up in your mind when you think about the impact of divorce on attachment um, attachments in the family? Well, of course, ironies abound in, in that question. The, the very fact that the child may be uh, profoundly attached to both of his parents is not only um, something that's going to help a lot, it's also something that's going to hurt a lot, all at the same time. And that's very difficult for parents to wrap their brains around, much less appreciate so, for example, it, it's very common for parents while divorcing to begin doing their own assessment of who the child really prefers, who the child is most comfortable with, who the child is most attached to. And they often make big mistakes about that, assuming, for example, that the child does have a preference, first of all, as if such a thing actually can exist, preference. Um, And secondly, that the preference is likely to be based on how much time and energy that parent has put into the child and his care. Uh, So um, if a mom has been the primary caregiver and dad has been the primary breadwinner, which isn't all that common anymore, but used to be, then the, the dad may tuck his tail between his legs and feel that he doesn't have much of a leg to stand on because after all, he was gone. And the mom may be quite ready to say, yeah, that's right. You weren't around. I was the one who changed his diapers and cleaned up his vomit and helped him deal with losses and uh, 
that puppy that bit him when he was three and all that, you weren't around for that. So how in the world could you possibly now be thinking that you should have the right to be with our child anywhere near as much as I am? So in answer to your question, it's just, it's just shot full of irony. Um, attachment rears its head in a, such a wonderfully positive way. It causes weeping. It causes part of the injury to the child um, because the child's loss is felt so much more profoundly. Yes, yes. So let's uh, move on to talking about some of the content of the video and, and some specific aspects of it that you might want to share with us today from the script that you wrote for it. Well, I was really burdened about that. I, I, I was burdened about the number of things, the sheer volume of things that I thought ought to be covered. Um, and I couldn't possibly. There's just too much variation on the themes. So I had to be very selective, knowing that I was going to leave out a lot of children's experiences. I was going to fail, therefore, to represent some children's voices. But I, I began um, with the, the moment that the divorce is being contemplated and the parents are beginning to talk about it with legal people. And the first thing that came up in my mind is the frequency with which either the parents asked for or the court ordered some sort of evaluation to help with the decision about custody. Yes. My experience with that mostly from the child's point of view, is that that was a miserable failure. It was almost a joke. And I, uh, some of the lines from early in the film are, that the child speaks are, we just had to go see some lady who asked me about a million really weird questions. Like, who would you most like to live with, honey? And what do you think your parents should do? I'm sure to certain grown-ups, even smart ones with degrees and uh, whatever, the wherewithal to get themselves appointed court evaluators, think those are reasonable questions, but they are not reasonable questions. And the child finds them at best perplexing, if not just plain a joke. And so some children just give whatever answer they think they should, uh, they should give. Others just don't answer at all others cry, others break something in the evaluator's office, and almost always, whatever parent picks the child up after the evaluation pays a price because that child is going to be in a bad state for the rest of the day. Why are those such unhelpful questions, Michael? Well, what I say the child says about that is, don't they know there are no answers that work? There are no answers that make everybody happy at the same time. There are no answers that get me what I really want. And I think that's the bottom line of why these are dumb questions. I, by the way, don't I misunderstand. I think there are reasonable questions from an adult point of view. It's just that there are no answers. Who do I want to be with? My parents. Oh, you tell me that I have to choose? No. No, I, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to choose depending on my age 
and how my parents are getting along and the messages I read in their voices and in their not voices and just in the looks on their faces, I'm going to tell you whoever I think will be the most happy about my answer. I'm going to tell you that's the parent I should go home with the most. Or I'm going to tell you uh, about who I think uh, gives me the most ice cream because at this particular moment I'm hungry and so ice cream wins the day, even though that's really not my answer at all. But that's what I'll say. So not only are these questions that really don't have answers, the answers we get may not be very, I want the word that comes to mind is reliable. I don't know that that's the right word. That's a perfectly good word. Okay. <laughs> Those answers will change tomorrow. Those answers will change on who dropped me off at the evaluator's office or yes. worse, who's sitting in the office with me with the evaluator. Um, I may think that my, my dad is tougher than my mom and he can stand it if I say, I like my mom better. I would never say I like my dad better in front of my mom because she might cry and I can't stand that. I don't want anybody crying anymore. They're doing that too much already. Mm. The child makes his decision on the basis of his feeling at the moment and all sorts of considerations that probably would never occur to adults. Yes. <laughs> Hi, this is Debbie Reed, and the book that Karen Buckwalter, myself, along with Wendy Lyons Sunshine, recently released, Raising the Challenging Child, is now available for purchase. I hope you'll visit the website, raisingthechallengingchild.com, to purchase the book. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future episodes. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. 